I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. Welcome back. So I have a whole book coming out, y'all, and it's getting very real. And it's safe to say I have a little anxiety around it. My entrepreneur journey has been a lot, and that is an understatement. I've been looking back over like the last several years of what it's taking for me to get to this point, and I still feel like I have so far to go. Um, I feel some comfort by listening to the stories of other founders and owners. Uh, recently, I was listening to a founder friend, uh, George. He's the founder of Lease Query. Uh, they're doing roughly about $20 million in, in annual recurring revenue. Uh, they raised over $70 million to date. So, you know, the brother is killing it. And he was talking to one of his friends about facing just depression, like severe depression. Um, and what it really does to you when you tie your identity to your business and uh, how you go through these ups and downs as you're on this entrepreneurial journey and it's so unpredictable. Uh, I believe the impact of doing so, tying your identity to your business can be devastating because business is just so volatile. It's just, it's hard. Uh, The highs and lows are extreme and connecting failure, particularly to your own self-worth can be a recipe for disaster. I know it's hard it's hard for me. I've struggled with it for a long time. I still struggle with it. Um, but whether it's tying your self-worth to your earnings, because that's the thing, how much money you make, whether it's tying yourself, your self-worth to your productivity and beating up on yourself for taking a day off or not working when you are tired. And, you know, we, we often hear this. We talk about this. These are the things that most of us are challenged with, particularly if we have just kind of been high achievers our whole life. Um, and so like, how do you detach your identity to your business in a way that just creates a better mental health and stability around um, the work that you're doing and how you think about yourself. Uh, it's talking to, for me at least, it's talking to other entrepreneurs and business owners uh, so you know how you are thinking isn't something necessarily unique to you. Uh, it's about that important um, understanding around how do you find what brings you joy outside of work, Um, How do you find that thing that isn't connected to you always having to achieve something else? I oftentimes talk to my friends um, and one of my good friends, Landon, he said that his whole life had been around like chasing achievement and he just wasn't doing it anymore. And I think that's really powerful because at what point do you have this awakening and you're telling yourself, okay, enough is enough. I really have to realign and hold my own self accountable to different standards that just allow for me to be and remain in a better, healthier space. So my next guest and for this episode, I'm bringing on a good friend of mine, as always, because I like interviewing people I have longstanding friendships with. Um, When Cleveland and I met, we immediately connected on our work ethic and relatability around the very oftentimes painful process of building a business from the ground up. 
So we agreed to start meeting up, particularly at the end of the year, to recap our wins and losses and plans for the next year. Um, you know, we verbalized what we call it, accountability talks. So without further delay, I want you guys to meet one of my accountability partners, Cleveland Spears. Welcome back to From Solid Ground to Resilient. I'm super excited to have one of my dear, closest friends on this week, uh, Mr. Cleveland Spears, who is the founder and CEO of Spears Group and the multifaceted, multi-talented, uh, I would call you a hit maker because everything you touch is like a hit, uh, but you also do event productions to public relations, to marketing, to other activations uh, here in New Orleans and in other cities as well. Cleveland is the person that you go to. He's the person that people call when they're trying to get something done, when they're trying to bring new ideas to the table, when they know that whatever it is that they're trying to do and they really need to get done, this is the person that they call. Uh, so Cleveland, welcome. Thank you so much. It's, it's so good to be here with you. And, and I love that introduction. Like, it's so flattering. Like, it, you got me blushing uh, here today. But but I am so, so proud of you. So I was uh, excited and honored when you asked me to, to join you and, and be your guest today. Absolutely. Now, what did I miss, though? And one thing I just thought about, you also have been on Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing businesses for two consecutive years. What else did I miss? Um, I, I thank you. That was that was a great introduction. The only thing that that you you didn't say, uh, I, I I also own a, a media um, myself and some partners acquired WBOK radio station uh, at the beginning of 2020 to keep the the oldest running uh, black news and talk station in the state of Louisiana on air. It's a, a seven year old station, and that was kind of our commitment to to supporting uh, black news, black intellectualism, uh, black information getting to the people. Uh, so. I also own a radio station uh, along with my business partners. But other than that, I think you covered it all and and, and said it in, in what more gravitas than I, I ever could. You know what's so crazy is that I missed the fact that he owned a radio station. That's how much this man has accomplished and has done that something as significant as a Black-owned radio station, which we can't have that many in the U.S. There aren't that many just news outlets that are run by black people. So that in itself is amazing. I need to know how you did that deal. Uh, that's not even a, a question I had for him, but now I need to know how he did that deal. Uh, but before we get there, would love for you to take me back um, and tell me a little bit about how did you get to where you are now, your entrepreneurial journey, your journey to starting a business? Take me back a little bit and walk me through it. Did you always want to be a business owner? Yeah. That, thanks thanks for the question, Savitri. So uh, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur going back to when I was in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I had no idea what that business would be. I just knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, starting my own PR and marketing and advertising and events firm uh, kind of just came about later uh, in life. Uh, but I ended up starting uh, the Spears Group uh, back in 2008. So we're, we're right at about a 12-year-old firm now. Uh, I started the firm when I was 25. And, you know, I was so young and fearless. I just kind of jumped out there and figured it out along the way. Um, and, and now we, we've had a 12 year run at it. 12 years. So, you know, they say that the first five years are the hardest. And if your business can make it five years, then your chances of survival drastically increase. Uh, 
Do you feel that was the case? Do you feel like your first five years were the hardest? Or for me, I've been in business for over 10 years now and I'm still like, shoot, this, this is hard. <laughs> this is still hard. How has it been for you? Yeah. yeah, you know, being an entrepreneur is hard and will always be hard. Um, but the it's different types of hard. And Savitri, I know you understand this because the, the types of things you spend your time thinking about and working on are vastly different uh, now than, than they were, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago or even two years ago. So yes, the first five years were hard. And the first five years are about survival. Can I make enough money to, one, take care of myself, then two, take care of the people you hire, uh, and then keep those people and, and let those people grow with you. So that, that's the challenge the first five years. And then it's still hard at years 10 and 12 and things like that, but it's a different type of hard. It, it's like, how do we now make sure it's sustainable, multi-generational, and really uh, competing with the, the titans of, of, of your industry. In my case, it may be media marketing events, uh, but I, I was in your space and in the tech space as well. It's, it's like, okay, now we've done this. How do we scale this thing, grow this thing, and you know, leave it to the next generation? And for me, that's very kind of top of mind for me. You know, it's because the company's name Spears Group is, is named after me, and, and I want to have something worthwhile to leave to my son as his uh, inheritance, and and not a burden, also. Yeah, absolutely. So, can you tell the audience some of the things and projects that you most commonly work on, and how has like COVID nineteen impacted you? I know you you did well during twenty twenty, but I think as all of us, we were like at first, we're like, okay, what's going to happen? How does this impact our business? Um, Cleveland has produced uh, events that have brought millions of people <laughs> to. So tell me a little about that. I think that knowing a little bit about your background, the audience would love to know uh, what your focus is on in your business. Great. So the way we talk about Spears Group is Spears Group is a, a marketing and PR firm that also owns a series of products, and those products are events. Uh, but at the core, uh, our day-to-day -day business, we serve clients and, and a number of sectors, be it uh, government, healthcare, education, lifestyle, travel and tourism, on kind of branding, brand management, strategic communications, crisis communications. We have managed messaging and and a number of issues that uh, that will make some people's heads spin, um, which is always an interesting and unique part of our business. But we, you know, uh, we have a, a great team of creatives and creative directors and brand people, and we work with, you know, what just banks, universities, uh, tourism uh, and business bureaus. Uh, that, that's our day-to-day our -day portfolio of work that we've been doing for 12 years now. And then the fun stuff, the stuff that you really get to use all of our skills and, and, and creativity on the marketing side is bringing our products to life, be it creating a festival around everyone's favorite food, which I believe is uh, fried chicken, uh, to you know the National Fried Chicken Festival that we have in a span of five years have grown to hosting chefs and restaurants from all over the country and hundreds of thousands of people come to just experience this this simple uh iconic dish in a lot of different ways and with unique uh, uh unique interpretations of the dish and creativity with this backdrop of new orleans people and new orleans music and things like that so that's one of our products that we basically took an idea that that came from my, my good dear friend Jade Russell, who said someone should start a fried chicken festival, and she forgot who she was sitting next to when she said that. Um, to our some of our other products, be it our, our dinner and blanc event that we have 
you know, kind of brought to the South and brought to Texas and brought to uh, Atlanta and, and obviously brought here to our hometown in New Orleans, or even our Champagne and Wine Festival, our Rosé Festival, where we uh, have traveled to D.C. and Nashville and Atlanta with that event, bringing people together around enjoying uh, fine champagnes and wines, uh, all of which are just really unique, cool, fun projects that, that we enjoy working on. And we use it as, as a case statement to show our, our, our marketing prowess, right? I think, so here's what I tell people when they say, what, what are the events fit into this firm? And what, what we say in our company is that anyone can market for Coca-Cola or McDonald's because it's there, it's always going to be there, you can go get it tomorrow or next year or next week. But we think it takes another level of marketing expertise to get thousands or in some cases, tens of thousands of people to show up at a specific place, a specific time, date, and do what you've asked them to do, whether just wearing a certain thing or, or what, what have you. So, you know, we we think that's a, our events are great case statements for, for our creativity and our marketing ability and our ability to execute on big ideas. So I think you said it so perfectly, but it's even an understatement because it's so hard to do and you have consistently done it over and over and over again. And like you said, with different concepts and ideas, you have some people that can do conferences and they can execute their conference maybe year after year. But to execute multiple different events at large scales every single year, I thought people... I wasn't built for it. I just wasn't built for it. <laughs> and, but it takes a certain type of genius to be able to do it. Um, and so if you have people out here who are listening and they're looking to start or maybe they're running a business and where they're trying to really get it off the ground, they're trying to do uh, event production, they're trying to do PR, they're trying to do marketing, they're trying to uh, build in this creative world, creative space. Where do they start? Like, where do you start? How do you become a Cleveland Spears? Well, <laughs> that's that's very flattering. Um, what do you start? You know, I, I try and give out. Uh, I give out as much advice as I can to as many people as I can. And, and the question of, of what do you start? Um, it's it's a very complicated question. One, start with a good idea, and start with good, getting good people around you. Um, I am only as good as the team of, of people that we consistently put around around that we consistently put around me. Um, the idea usually starts with the leader and the vision of it. So have a, a good idea and a good vision of the experience you want to create. And what I often tell people, particularly in the events, is is don't think about money at the outset. Don't say, I'm going to do this event, and the first thing you're doing is spreadsheet and the, the, the economics of it. Think about the vision, the experience. I want people to feel like this. I want people to leave saying they had this experience. And, and also, if you plan on doing it long term and over time, the economics will 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 take care of themselves. Um, if if folks who are getting into the experiential space for money is, is probably not the way to do it because one most event concepts don't make money the first year. Um, now most people know events can be you know like elephant hunting once you get your your concept uh, uh, you master your concept. But you know it, it probably won't make money the, the first year. Be committed to an experience that people will remember and talk about. And then next thing you know, people are traveling from other cities and across the country to come be a part of that. Um, and then find people that are good at the things you want because no one is good at everything. So we have great kind of 
operations people around me. Um, we have a great uh, organizer, like our finance and, and um, an operations person um, who help just keep us organized. Uh, so put a good team around you. Be committed to the experience, not not the dollars, uh, and 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 kind of just go forward. So, what are some things you wish you would have known? Then, when you were just starting up, or even shoot, it could be two years ago, a year ago, um, that you know now, but you wish you would have known then. So the answer to that is everything. <laughs> I I started really. I started our company so young. I literally, I, I didn't know much, and I had a a set of philosophies, and philosophies are like values, right? So I knew how I wanted to show up. I knew I wanted to create a, a great black company that operated with high integrity and operated at a high standard. And uh, and I always wanted people, I, I never wanted people to say they felt like they're doing business with a small black company. Like you're doing business with a company like you would with anyone else. And that's, and I went into everything just wanting to have a, a standard of excellence. As it relates to the, the, the actual <laughs> running of a business, there's a whole lot of wish I would have known uh, back then. And there's still a whole lot more that I still need to know going forward. Um, but, you know, I just committed to learning a lot every year and, and every day. But there's, there's so much I wish I'd have known back then. You know, I, I was not good with finance, finances and tracking and keeping up with the finances of the company and having financial statements, taxes. Oh, wow. I got a story about taxes and it, it, and I think most small business owners do. Um, so, you know, the first several years of business, like our taxes was a nightmare. And like around, you know, year 10, we were going back cleaning up <laughs> years worth of taxes. It's um, real. It's real. Them taxes. Yeah. And the tax right. man will always come for you. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's one of those things we all kick, kick the can down the road. And, and one day it's going to come due. And uh, so, you know. Though, but there's so much. Again, like I said, I started the company so young. There's so much I, I wish I would have known, and I've been. I, I would say, had I, it's kind of six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I feel like if, if I had waited to start the company, the company would have grown faster. But I got all this great learning experience, kind of in the seat. Um, so I, I don't regret it. Um, but I don't know if I had to do it again, would I, would I do it the same or would I have waited a few more years, got a little more experience under my belt and then, uh, and then started the company. You know, it's interesting that you say that, um, I tell people this often because you and me actually think the same there. Uh, because I also started really young, my first company as well. We both were like in our early twenties and I tell people that um, me and my accountability partner, Cleveland Spears, we always say looking back, had we done something different, we probably would have went in a larger agency or uh, went into another firm that was potentially maybe doing what we were trying to do and learned as much as we could from them and then jumped out and did our own thing because mistakes are so costly right? It costs you time, it costs you money, it costs you everything. We have just been fortunate to bounce back and do well and survive the roller coaster mm-hmm. of just learning. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you and I talk about that all the time when, when we have our accountability check-ins. But yeah, that, that is one thing that, that I would have done different. And to your point, uh, mistakes in our seats as, as entrepreneurs and, and CEOs, they cost 
real, real money. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, we both probably have two PhDs between us from some Ivy Leagues, all of the, 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 the lessons we've learned on the job. Um, yeah, it's so real. So you mentioned earlier something that I left out, and that was you were a part of a team that acquired, bought a radio station. How did that happen? Yeah, so that was a uh, that was interesting. I I got a call from a a, a businessman that I had known from a, around the city, and it, I knew that the station was for sale. And to be quite honest, it was like either someone's going to buy it or it's going to go off air for the first time in, in seventy years or sixty nine years at that point. And I said, hey, we got a team together, and it was comprised of a gentleman named Troy Henry. You know, prominent businessman in the city. You ran for mayor at one point. Uh, the the well-renowned actor Wendell Pierce. Um, he's part of the team, and, and another local businessman named Jeff Thomas. And they said, "Hey, you know, we have a team that that we're gonna quote unquote save WBOK and keep it on air and reprogram it and rebuild it. And you know, we all have this passion for WBOK, but Cleveland, you actually have." experience in the media marketing and advertising business and you know we think you'd be a great addition to our team and uh and based on me and kind of the things i believe in which is you know protecting black institutions um uh a free flow of information and content that represents black thought uh are things that i'm passionate about which is like why i'm so proud of you and all the things you do from your book to this podcast and and etc so that was my opportunity to really step in and help protect a black institution that served black people and for that reason alone um i was i was immediately interested and and we ended up uh doing doing an agreement created a company that company is called equity media and Equity Media acquired WBOK. We closed on it uh, January 1st of, of 2020. Um, and it's interesting, uh, Sabuchi, one of the questions you asked me that, that I didn't get to was, how was 2020 and during COVID and things like that? And uh, with the multiple businesses that, that, that I have an interest in, the experience was very different. I will say for WBOK, a brand new radio station we had owned for all of three months. It was extremely challenging. It, and, and, and it still is, uh, as you and I are talking today, uh, as relates to our firm, the Spears Group, that business had an extraordinary year. Uh, and that was a number of, of outside uh, factors that attributed to that, particularly a, a moment where the country wanted to People say we need to be more intentional about doing business with, with black people. And that was one of those rare moments where like years and years of preparation met an opportunity. Our company's been here and been here for a long time. It had a great reputation. And as the public was having this reckoning and consciousness and they had these needs, here's a black business with a great reputation. It's been around a long time and it, it provided some opportunities for us. So we had an extraordinary year in, in that business. And then obviously, as you know, and everyone can imagine, our events business basically took a year hiatus. We didn't produce a single event last year. Uh, and obviously there was a big hit to the, the company from that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like well, people say, we have a diversified portfolio and parts of the portfolio did, uh, did well and parts struggled and some parts didn't exist at all last year. So it was a very, it's a very unique and, and interesting year, but nonetheless, you know, 
we made it through and, and are looking forward to, you know, bright things ahead. And that's kind of what being an entrepreneur is all about, being resilient um, and, and kind of getting through, uh, getting through things. Absolutely. And it just made me think about what you said about having a diverse portfolio and offering um, services to allow for your work and your business to continue and even thrive in other areas. Uh, because a lot of events went virtual, but you're giving people experience. It wasn't, you couldn't go virtual with your events, right? It's like, oh, this is about the experience. Mm-hmm. We need the champagne. We need the chicken. We need the experience. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, didn't have certain advantages that, you know, your company had and you couldn't have predicted it, right? And so you were just positioned well and have positioned your company well over the past few years. Now, is it? And so hopefully, generation over generation, if we continue to move the needle, move the needle by the time your son comes of age and wants to take over the Spears group, um, he'll he'll know a different world than which we knew, right? Um, that's like the ideal scenario, I, I would think, I would think at least. And, you know, I think we look back over 2020 and I actually look back to even civil rights uh, generation. And some of the things that I think about are, did we like, did they just over time, did we just get comfortable? Maybe the next generation, they got some jobs, they got some cloud and then, you know, they got comfortable and like, how do we not get comfortable? How do we like keep our foot on the pedal and on the gas and not let up so that people don't just go back to the way things were? So those are some things I think about. I don't know. I'm like, okay, how do we keep this up and how do we keep this going? But something that we have talked about in the past, and I think now we have spent years sitting on boards um, and bringing something to boards where I feel maybe would have been like a little bit unexpected when we were originally Mm -hmm. invited. Uh, But would love to know like your thoughts about us sitting on boards and the importance of our presence on those boards. That's a great question. One, I think uh, I think people like you and I and more black people and, and young black people needs to be in those rooms. And I think once we get there, we have to really represent. And what I mean by that is both you and I, most of the boards we're on, there's not a lot of us. So usually when they invite us, discuss they are looking for diversity. We need to deliver on that when we're in a room. Don't just show up and and kind of get along and go along, but really be brave and, and courageous and, and represent the perspective that we're actually invited to those boards to represent. You know, I, I have been in positions to, to be on boards and whether it's a board or just in the room uh, with, with, you know, decision makers and in transparency and honesty, it actually took me a while to grow into my own comfort with doing that and with speaking up. You know, I started getting invited into certain rooms and boards and, and et cetera, probably in my twenties. And that's been moments where I actually look back and regret not speaking up and, 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 and being more, uh, assertive representing the, the 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 black perspective. However, I, I would say that's the opposite. Now I've grown a lot and matured, and and really now when I'm in the room, you know, I'm I'm almost like the little militant Michael from Good Times. Like I'm always the one saying, "Well, no, we have to." I'm, I'm constantly talking about black people, black perspective, diversity. 
what this Hood organization is hiring, hiring for contracts and jobs, hi, uh, contracts, hiring to work there, how we're approaching policy. Uh, there was just one with a board that I was on this past week. And they were talking about those, a large partnership with another organization. And I'm trying to say, well, that sounds great now, but this program needs to still be owned by our organization because if we rename and rebrand it to this other partner entity, it's going to feel exclusionary. And we want to make sure we always have access and equity in, in the program that we're building out. So, I mean, it, it, it looks a lot of different ways, but there's so many things that are done that impact black people. Uh, that you always have to be conscious, thoughtful, and thinking about it and having the courage uh, to speak up about it. Absolutely. And I think um, for those out there who are on this journey and you're always trying to figure out, like, who do I connect to? Who do I have to meet um, to see how to get opportunities? People don't even think about, like, the individuals who sit on boards, right, and their influence on contracts and those opportunities and where money flows, where power influence flows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who's on those boards in your local communities or otherwise are really, really important. Um, And something you said about earlier about, you know, you got on the board and you not only brought what they were looking for in the sense of diversity, but you brought a little bit extra, maybe what oh, they weren't looking for. <laughs> they, they, they getting all of this. Trust, all trust of it. That. All of it. Uh, so in addition to like diversifying boards, you know, we've seen a huge push um, of a lot of different diversity uh, acts and maneuvers over the course of the past year, um, particularly with uh, social injustice and um, what we consider our lifetime's version of the civil rights movement uh, with Black Lives Matter. Do you feel that a lot of what's going on is performative arts or do you feel that, okay, this is something that's going to really stick and people are going to continue this movement to support Black, brown, and people of color in business and otherwise? You know, my thoughts on that is, is, is a little mixed based on your question. One, I don't believe it's performative by and large. I believe people who are, are making these, taking these positions and, and, and things like that, I believe they they believe it and they, they believe they mean it. However, what does that look like for them, for white America, white society? means at the moment they're doing it, they believe it, and they're probably coming from a somewhat sincere place. However, I do not believe the the what we've seen over the past year is going to be transformational. I believe it's going to be incremental progress. And we have, you know, 400 years of history um, where, you know, racism is, is so... Uh, uh, deep in, in, in this country. I mean, you and I participated in a two-day uh, training on race a couple years ago, and, and although we've been black in this country our entire lives, that training really uncovered things for us about just how deep racism is. So while I think incremental progress will continue to be made, I don't think it's going to change. I don't think it's going to be transformation like, wow, America's not racist anymore. Or, wow, look at all this equity for all these people and access. I think it's going to be incremental change. And to be quite honest, I think it's like everything else in, uh, in this country. The, the level of impact is really going to be kind of based on class as well. And what I mean by that, people like you and I, B, and, and, and our friends and, and people that are professionals and in business, we are easy wins 
say, oh, we partnered with or we invested in and we added them to our board or we're doing business with them now. And it's like this checkbox. But the people that really need greater equity, um, you know, people that we grew up with and, and things like that, they probably won't even feel the incremental progress. So it's, it's going to be a, it will continue to be a multi-generational journey where, you know, up and down the, 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 the socioeconomic spectrum, everyone is seeing a more equitable society. Um, and that's kind of my, my thoughts on it. And, and I'll even say the, the civil rights movement, while it was, it was, it, it was transformational, but even coming out of it, you still see we're now, you know, 40, 50 years later, how much more progress still needs to be made. Absolutely. It's interesting that you say that because I saw a friend um, who I would consider an activist and she said something that really stood with me. And she was like, yes, brothers and sisters, y'all out here getting these contracts and getting these checks, but the streets are unimpressed. And I was like, that's real, because to your point, they don't even feel what we feel as far as, quote unquote, opportunity and like a shift in um, just access. Right. And I was thought that was like very much so on target when she said that, you know, the streets are not impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm about to drastically shift here. Um, we've been talking about business and building a business. And this is a spoiler alert for anyone who has not watched Coming to America, <laughs> a movie oh, that we're basically going <laughs> on. Um, but I need to know, you know, I need to know. I know you have watched Coming to America. I mm-hmm. now have watched Coming to America. Mm-hmm. How was it for you? Did it did it give you nostalgia? <laughs> did it bring you back? <laughs> so I looked forward to that movie like all of us did, like all of certainly Black American, by and large, but all of America. We all know that movie is a classic. And um, I, I feel like they let the culture down. <laughs> I feel like they let the culture down. I, I, I imagine the streaming numbers are going to be huge for it when they'll probably report them soon. And, and I, yeah, I feel like they're missing some, some things. And one of my good friends uh, said this, some things just don't need sequels because they're so good. So um, it looked, it, it looked like they tried to take the original and make a parody of it. Um, it did. It did, it did feel I, like that. I didn't think about that, but you're right. It did. It did kind of feel like a parody. And, and I was, I was actually disappointed, and and I'll tell you another. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another reason why I'm disappointed. Uh, I, I've been talking about the movie so much, particularly not particularly, but also with my white friends and colleagues and things like that. I'm like, you don't notice? It's great. It's a classic. You have to watch it. So I've been telling all these people who didn't have the the, the historical context of the original movie how they got to watch it, and they watched it. They were <laughs> they haven't told me this because they probably don't want to insult me, but. I'm sure they were unimpressed too. So, 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 so that's no, no. my. So you got to tell them they have to go back and watch the first one now because you got to yeah. kind of put that in context. Because if you don't see the first one, you really are going to not get the second one. Yeah. So what I liked about it was one, and also I don't think I had as high expectations as you did, Cleveland. <laughs> I, I think I that's excited. to start with. But I love that they brought so many of the characters back. And how you got to see these flashbacks of them mm. um, when they shot Coming to America the first time and fast forward to today. So I love the flashbacks. Um, 
I also really enjoyed just the dynamics in which they were trying to create. So, you know, coming back to America, um, finding his son, what I feel like could have made it better. And a friend and I were talking about this was if we weren't locked down by COVID and we had the opportunity to like get dressed up as like royalty and do the whole Wakanda thing like we did when Wakanda came out and go to the theaters and make it like an event, <laughs> maybe it would have been like better in in that essence, right? But um, yeah, I think it was definitely, if you had high, high expectations, like my good friend Cleveland here, <laughs> you're probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you you were also disappointed. I, I yeah, think. Not, not a fan of it. It just, I just, you're right. Coming to America was so good that I think it was just going to be hard to do something similar. And I also agree with you that, um, and you know, coming to the first coming to America didn't have no huge budget. But it did seem a little bit more just like authentic. I don't know. I don't know. What's the word for it? But yeah. what you said about kind of being like a parody, I can see that. Yeah. And the other thing that I'll say is that the original, uh, what I don't know if they knew this when they made it, but it turned out to be a classic because it was it was timeless. The, I mean, we, we watch it now. The, 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 the sequel, it seemed like in the moment comedy, like things that are funny and relevant today because it like other, other generations will see this and be like what i don't get it uh, some of the, the references and the, the, the things they're doing it just doesn't it just doesn't really jive but you know the story of like you know coming to find a queen and and you know I, but i don't want to know i'm a queen and all of this like it's just so genuine authentic that anyone can identify with that and this new one just seems like oh like there's a, you know teenagers people and they're like Younger years will see this, find it funny, and, and watch it right now. That's, mm-hmm. that's my thoughts on it. But let me not uh, <laughs> on about well, America yes. too. Yes, I had to ask you though, because you know we always talk about business, but we like to talk about uh, what's happening in the culture, and that's definitely mm-hmm. very relevant for the culture right now. <laughs> we 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 all are lo- looking forward to it. <sighs> yes. So y'all, let me know what y'all thought about it. If you watched it, um, hopefully you're not listening to this. If you have not. And um, yeah, let me know your thoughts. So my last and final question for you, uh, Cleveland, is, you know, I have a book coming out um, April 6th called Resilient. And I love to just hear the stories of other entrepreneurs and other business owners around um, what is taking them to get to where they are and what they still go through to this day. And so I want to ask you the same question I've asked others. What does resiliency, what does resilience mean to you? Uh, resilience to me, one, I think resilience is, is something that uh, black people in this country have, have always had to be because we have forever been, been in a situation where we are always coming back from or fighting through or sustaining through challenges. Um, so resilience to me means not only getting through things or coming back from things, and, uh, but, but how you do it. Coming through it would want uh, courage and class and grace and not a sense of resentfulness or, or, or bitterness, um, helping other people come through things. Uh, and first of all, I, I just want to commend you. I'm, I'm glad that is the, the name of your book and because it's something you've kind of stood for since I've known you. You have certainly had your your, your share of, of 
of personal challenges. And now you're kind of reaching back and teaching other people how to be resilient, which is another way, another part of of being resilient, uh, kind of reaching back and and helping others as well. Um, So yeah, that that is what I see. uh, uh, That's what I think of when I hear the word resilient. Um, And, you know, I think we all, myself included, have had our own struggles to, to, to get through. I think the past year, uh, getting through, you know, a pandemic that changed society as we know it so much. What, the mental trauma of watching uh, a, a lot of things that has happened in, in the past year, which we've been seeing our entire lives, um, all of those things create this level of trauma. Whether you're personally experiencing it or watching people that look like you experience it, and so we have to be resilient from that. I mean, so resilience is 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 important for everyone. Everyone needs to have tenacity and fortitude and resilience, but it's particularly important for black and brown people. So I'm, so I'm glad you use all of your platforms to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, so as we wrap up here, where can people find you? What's the best way to reach Cleveland Spears? I'm a, I'm, I'm an easy guy to find. I'm, I'm, I'm on all of the, the social medias. Uh, and now as we have our, our company website. So the company is thespearsgroup.com. Uh, I'm on social media, uh, just under Cleveland Spears or on IG as Cleve underscore Spears. Uh, so LinkedIn, Facebook, IG, you can find me on, on all of those. Well, thank you, Cleveland. I'm so happy that I was able to have you on um, from solid ground to resilient. And I look forward to others meeting you for the first time uh, and also being truly inspired by your story. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And like I, like I always tell you when, when we see each other, I'm so proud of what you're doing, not only with your business, but things like this podcast, things like your second book, you know, not, not only doing well, but kind of sharing knowledge of how other people can find success and whatever that success may mean. Maybe it's in business, family, community, whatever it is. So you keep up the great work. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Next week, can we get into my book that's coming out on April 6th, Resilient? Oh, yes. I can't wait. I'll be reading an excerpt and telling you about my favorite parts and the parts that I also hesitated to add. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of that, too. So until next time, thank you again for joining From Solid Ground to Resilient. And please tell your friends about it. Send them a link. Tell them to subscribe. We're everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to From Solid Ground to Resilient with me, your host, Savitra Wilson. If you like this show, subscribe, listen, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This helps us reach more people like yourselves, risk takers, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and the likes. Also, be sure to visit CivitraWilson.com and sign up for my newsletter. There you can download everything from my actual pricing sheets to pitch decks, capability statements, and more. All to help you get your entrepreneur wheels turning and your business growing. To learn more about my show and listen to all my podcast episodes, go to abfc.co backslash shows. Until next time, remember, even if no one sees it for you, you have to see it for yourself. Let your work be a testament to your grit, gratitude, passion, persistence, and most importantly, resiliency. Thank you.